Propane Plus in Rhode Island for all your propane needs. Call them 401 885 4209. In Massachusetts, you can reach them at 508 252 3359. Propane Heating and Cooling. It's Propane Plus. Their team's been there three generations. They're available 24-7 for service and delivery, and they plan on serving you for a long time to come. They offer online billing, ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button, and remember, all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment. It's Propane Plus, and remember with propane, it's affordable, sustainable, equitable, good for the environment, and now it's renewable. Call Propane Plus today at 401 885-4209. In Massachusetts, call them at 508-252-3359. They're very easy to navigate website. It's propaneplus.com. Propane Plus. Call them 401-885-4209. You're listening to the John DePietro Show, folks. It's am 1380 99.9 fm you can always listen online at the website dpetro.com well it is monday december 5th hope you had a uh, productive weekend i do find it's get a lot more done on a weekend when the patriots patriots are not playing they had that brutal loss to buffalo on uh, thursday night and the season uh, seems to be getting away from them but just my impression you can kind of get some some more things done it is um, remarkable so tomorrow is a uh, election day in georgia it's so bizarre it seems like that race has been going on for so long where they have the the runoff now and i don't know it is um it's it's very difficult if not impossible to get a sense of just how much um you know if herschel walker is going to hold on to that now President Trump, whether he likes it or not, look at this. There is still fallout from that dinner at Mar-a-Lago with Kanye West and Nick Fuentes, partly because of the fact that <clears throat> he continues um, he continues to be in the news, but then Kanye West and that Nick Fuentes white supremacist also, in fact, um, does, in fact, look uh, seemingly continue to be in the news and not in a good way, by the way, it, it just continues. Let's go with some of the news highlights though, including, so this is the individual, he's going to be the minority leader, house Democrat leader who will be in the minority party. And that is this Hakeem Jeffries. He's replacing Nancy Pelosi. And folks, one of the things they're talking about is just whether or not President Biden is going to run for re-election. Major move by him and his allies in the DNC this week to rejigger the primary calendar, putting South Carolina first. Of course, South Carolina, many would argue, made uh, Joe Biden president back in 2020. Do you expect him to run? Do you want him to run? I certainly expect him to run, and I absolutely uh, look forward to strongly supporting him. If you think about President Biden's track record of success, it includes, but is not limited to, the American Rescue Plan, Save the Economy, Shots in Arms, Money in Pockets, Putting Kids Back in School, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, Creating Millions of Good-Paying Jobs, Fixing Our Crumbling Infrastructure All Across America, Urban America, Rural America, Suburban America, Small Town America, The Heartland of America, Gun Safety Legislation for the first time in 30 years. It will save lives. We've got to do more, but it was an incredible step. The Chips and Science Act to bring domestic manufacturing jobs back home and the historic Inflation Reduction Act to strike a decisive blow against the climate crisis, lower energy costs, strengthen the Affordable Care Act, lower health care costs, and drive down the high price of life-saving prescription drugs for millions of Americans. Those are just the highlights, George. That's an extraordinary record. And on top of all of that, Katanji Brown-Jackson is seated on the United States Supreme Court. That is a compelling track record of success. I know he'll have a vision for the future. I look forward to strongly supporting president biden's re-election you know that would be uh, a gift if the republicans can handle it well if in fact biden does run for re-election how about the fact what happened to democracy how about the fact that they now want to make south carolina the first democrat primary as opposed to you know they're not wrong on that remember it was used to be the iowa caucus was the calendar then it was new hampshire then it was nevada then it was south carolina south carolina saved biden South Carolina made President Biden. Now, on the flip side, I would argue President Trump is not doing himself any favors. What does he announce over the weekend? 
well, one of the things has to do with parts of the Constitution should be terminated. Let's hear. This is the report on CBS. Former President Donald Trump is in your news feeds this morning for suggesting parts of the U.S. Constitution should be terminated. And that puts some Republicans in the hot seat for failing to condemn that remark. Robert Costa is in Washington with this story for us. Bob, good morning. Good morning, Tony. The former president's post comes as the Republican Party is still dealing with the fallout from that dinner Trump had with white nationalist Nick Fuentes and the rapper formerly known as Kanye West, who has continually made anti-Semitic comments. That dinner and Trump's post present a reckoning for his party about its future. It's the oath of office every president takes. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. But former President Trump is now taking aim at this founding document. A post from Trump suggesting the possible termination of parts of the Constitution and a redo of the 2020 election drew sharp condemnation from Democrats, calling him out of control and dangerous. Some Republicans also critical. I certainly don't uh, endorse uh, that language or uh, that sentiment. But any political cause for Trump remains unclear, as others are taking a wait-and-see approach. I will support whoever the Republican nominee is. And I just don't think that at this point he'll be able to get there. Trump has kept up the steady drumbeat of false statements about the 2020 election long after his own officials told him it was not stolen. I made it clear I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen. Trump's latest comments were in response to a report by journalist Matt Taibbi that showed Twitter employees deliberating in October 2020 about how to handle a New York Post article about a laptop belonging to Hunter Biden, President Biden's son. Taibbi also reported both the Biden campaign and the Trump White House communicated with Twitter about content. This all comes as Trump faces multiple federal and state investigations. And as the House's January 6th committee prepares to issue a sweeping report that will shine a light on Trump's conduct during the attack on the Capitol. But this report could be the basis, in your view, for prosecution. I, I think that it could be. Donald Trump was a guy who just would not take no for an answer from the American people and set about to overthrow an election. Speaking to Republican sources, it's clear that many of Trump's possible 2024 rivals are now remaining quiet, wondering if Trump's campaign will fizzle out or if he will face legal headaches that could derail him. But as we saw six years ago, that hope among some Republicans that Trump will fade away is often dashed. No question about it. Now, again, um... I mean, I, I don't understand this this stuff about the the suspending parts of the Constitution. Folks, I, I would even argue there was a period of time when he, he his platform is this truth social, but he wasn't really utilizing it. Uh, even you, you go back to this past spring, he wasn't really utilizing it. I, I don't, I, I'm yet to see or be convinced that him constantly putting out information, how that's benefiting him. And I'll tell you, there's several dangers here. <clears throat> One is, well, a part of it is the Republican Party, they get tired of reacting to and either reacting to or having to defend various statements that are made. And then he stays, you know, kind of in the bunker out of sight and doesn't have to say anything that that gets old. That gets old real fast. But this business, I, I don't know. I don't think he fully understands that the the danger with that a, a, there, there is a huge part of our population that would like to suspend the constitution and then the part that they that they they do want to get rid of or suspend is well there's several things number one free speech and second is the second amendment crime well you know the right to defend yourself bear arms so just opening that door i was very surprised at that now the 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 twitter revelations over the course of the weekend i listen it is disturbing to read I think things are going to get better. I, I'm not fully convinced that 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 had they not censored some of the laptop stuff, I'm still not convinced that would have altered the course of the election. One of the things you, you can't deny 
or is the fact the motivational factor he has to get people to get out and vote against him he is a big draw of people voting against him he is a big draw of people voting for him but unfortunately he's a big draw of people voting against him and it does motivate them and the democrats raise money off it um i i'm gonna i'm gonna say what i've been saying all along you have to wait to see how this field shakes out we'll know in the next six months if you remember it was june of 2015 when president trump famously came down that escalator and so you know we're about to enter 2023 then over the next five to six months you will see some different people entering the race on the republican side and i also caution people you just you never know until they get up on the debate stage exactly how they're gonna perform i i'm i am surprised the number of people that are already saying that they would in fact that they would um support florida governor ron DeSantis. and the reason i say that is is because you 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 don't i i still come back to you don't know until you really see them get up there and how they're gonna handle things in in 2016 there were several people that prior to that seem you know john governor john Kasich was one of them he even used to fill in on fox and i think governor scott walker was another one there, there were other individuals marco rubio seemed impressive until you saw him on the debate stage and then of course jeb bush seemed impressive until you saw him on the debate stage and then president trump was just so much better than them so we have a long way to go i i'm not convinced that this benefits him all of this he has just dominated the news cycle since he announced and i i'm i'm not convinced it's in a good way um and i know people can argue that all the media is against him but he's got some allies out there but this um suspending the constitution and then the the dinner i i'm not I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem to be clicking on all cylinders. Anyhow, it's Monday. We're going to do our segment Politics This Week with Justin Katz. Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. The next time you have an emergency, head straight to AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Suite 122 in Johnston, or East Greenwich 5750 Post Road. AtMed Urgent Care. Urgent health care facility providing comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals families specializing in ambulatory medicine diagnostic treatment service at med urgent care they provide immunization school sports physicals they're a cost-efficient health care alternative to hospital-based emergencies they're open seven days a week walk-in routine urgent care minor surgical orthopedic and trauma work-related injuries physical exams drug testing full laboratory services and with atmed urgent care they offer mononuclear antibody infusions you someone in your family suffering from covid you want to go straight to atmed urgent care two locations johnston 1524 atwood avenue suite 122 or east greenwich 5750 post road online at atmedurgentcare.net Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. Just click the Listen Live button. Folks, it's time for our segment, Politics This Week. Yes, he is the managing editor, anchorising.com. It is our friend Justin Katz. And Justin, I want to start off. It was um, certainly, uh, I, I was a little surprised that the, crowds seem underwhelming compared to what they thought it was going to be only because i think massachusetts when massachusetts opened their first whatever people want to call it pot dispensary uh, recreational marijuana what have you but um there were there were lines there were traffic jams rhode island didn't see anything like that but on thursday the state finally opened and now we have as they call it recreational marijuana in Rhode Island seems to be driven really just by uh, the promise of high tax revenue. Start off our segment, getting your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think, I think that's exactly it. It's another area where, and this isn't a growing pattern. You've got 
gambling and now you've got marijuana. So we're getting into drugs now where the government basically takes a formerly illegal activity or substance or one that is sometimes made illegal and legalizes it in order because it's an excuse to tax it more. Um, my whole that my whole issue with it is, and I think one of the reason we didn't see big crowds is because, I mean, first of all, marijuana has been sort of quasi legal and tolerated for decades now. Uh, plus, we've had the medical marijuana in Rhode Island and Massachusetts beat us to to the recreational. So at this point, it was almost kind of tying up loose ends. So I, I could see why there wouldn't be a whole lot of fanfare. But what what I worry about now is, I mean, Rhode Island just does not run things well. I mean, we're already getting scandals of connections of statehouse insiders with mafia people related to this right. stuff. Uh, I mean, th this is what's going to come with it. Uh, you know, the, the state takes the taxes, presumably, you know, it, it's sort of like a, a pricing decision in, in business. Presumably, it's well. we need to tax it so that we can cover services that will will be required for, the, for this to be legal properly. It, they just want the money. And so the, they're not going to spend money or, or devote any resources to to making sure things run smoothly and that there's not the corruption and that there's not the, the personal catastrophes it's from, a, from a sort of a social disease and addiction. Um, so I think th that's what we're going to we're going to now sit back and watch the the scandals, the corruption and the, the fallout from having it be legal. But uh, the change may not be hugely evident at first, because, as I said, it's already been pretty much legal and decriminalized to carry. And you can go over the border and, and buy it. And it, it's been easy, to, relatively easy to get since I was a kid. So, so that's quite a while now. You know what I think that is different, uh, Justin Katz, is well, several aspects of this. And one is. Obviously, you know, they talk about you're supposed to be over 21. Um, I, I would think that this would be a huge appeal for young kids. But something I don't I, – meaning, you know, teens and so forth, just that much more readily available the, that they could get it. But I think something – a lot of talk, certainly not from Governor McKee or anyone like that, but is is the element of – and – the period of time and that has really evolved i mean years ago maybe you'd hear about some kind of like pot brownies or things like that but as someone i covered the opening and that's a big extensive element of it and it comes in you know different forms of literally pastry and i i think the element of the edible which also you know it doesn't kick in right away and then all of a sudden it it hits the people all at once i i think that's that's the, the biggest part about this that's going to be a problem at some point and they're not even sure about that of you're going to school that you know it, it becomes a joke that they're all taking some of these edibles or the you know the gummies or whatever it is and then all of a sudden you know these kids are having problems at, at a classroom yeah i mean the the increased acceptance is going to bring a lot of that and that's part of what i mean i'm not sure that our our society or our government especially is, is prepared for that sort of thing. I mean, I, I visited a child at college and the, the dorm smelled pretty strongly of marijuana, which, you know, when I was in college, kids did it, but we, everybody took care to have a fan sucking the air out the window and you know, you couldn't get caught doing it. Now it's it's kind of more out there. And I think you're right. That, I mean, I've been in meetings with adults who are, they've got the gummies or what have you. And, uh, you know, that that's going to increase in school. It just is. So I, I just, I'm, I'm not, that's my concern is I'm not confident that we as a society are prepared for that sort of an effect. Uh, but, I, but it's astute of you to notice, to note that, that the, the edibles, particularly the gummies and that sort of thing are an issue. But what, what I find really striking is after decades, years and decades of watching government crack down on say flavored cigarettes or or vaping or all this so these things are now considered the worst you, you can't have vaping because I don't, I don't know what the argument is you know, somehow it's i mean you, you can track it and it's much better than cigarettes period and it accounts for the, the probably accounts for a lot of the reduction in cigarette smoking that we've seen in recent decades but somehow that's that's bad and evil because it's it's not a favored drug and the government doesn't get this massive cut like it does with cannabis so i think that's it's it, that'll be an interesting political angle to watch is is how how much the how much the government's going to regulate the edibles in the same way it's been regulating uh say nicotine uh flavored products recent in recent decades i think we'll i think we'll see a very almost like a a, a, a hypocritical difference between those two folks quick break much more ahead politics this week justin katz managing editor anchorising.com right here on the john DePietro show
It's getting cold already this winter. Keep your family, your employees warm with Matthews Oil Company. Call them today, 401-942-7500. Matthews Oil Company, 24-hour emergency service. For over four generations, they make it easy to keep your home comfortable and safe. Trusted oil delivery. Call Matthews Oil Company today, 401-942-7500. You can find them online, matthewsoil.com. Matthews Oil, Premier Dealer, Rhode Island, delivering the highest quality heating fuels at Matthews Oil. They take pride providing reliable, affordable service for you and your family. Celebrating 90 years of service. Call them now. It's going to be a cold winter. Get that tank filled. Call Matthews Oil Company today. 401-942-7500. In an emergency, they offer 24-hour emergency service. Matthews Oil Company. 401-942-7500. Our segment is politics this week. With me is Justin Katz, managing editor at Rising.com. Well, Justin, we've had the homeless advocates. Uh, I went up there and covered some of that. It didn't seem to be, and I'm talking about the people in the tents sleeping at the state house. First of all, because the tents, they're not cardboard boxes. They're, they're actually very nice tents, expensive tents that someone apparently donated. But when they're a dark collar, you, you can't actually tell, is there someone inside that tent or is the tent just empty? And so they had all these tents. They also had a lot of trash. But one of the individuals I interviewed, he's actually an advocate. He has an apartment. Maybe it's not a great apartment, but he has an apartment in Providence. And Governor McKee, back from February vacation, tries to do the tree lading ceremony. And so the McKee people, they said, oh, you can come in. And they gave them food and fed them and let them come to the tree lighting. And then uh, they ended up then uh, chanting and carrying on. And there was a, you know, decent police presence, no more than I think normally they'd have something like that. But I want to get your thoughts on the homeless. It's mostly advocates and two people dressed up as Jesus and Mary, but them essentially crashing into the Governor McKee tree lighting. Right. Well, I mean, we saw with the with the political co-op folks that early on in election season that this is that display is largely that it's largely a, a political display uh you do wonder how many of them are, are actually home, homeless and how many of them are just activists um and you can tell that by the fact that they put them up on the pavement right out front of the doors. They want it to be seen. If you were, right. if you're really looking for a place for shelter as a homeless person and you wanted to be on the state house grounds, you would go down in that area that's nicely sheltered on the grass there. That would sure. be a great place for yes. a homeless but they don't choose that. They choose the pavement right in front of the door because it's it's a display. Uh, and so, you know, we, we accept that. I've got as far as they're, go, they're crashing the Christmas tree lighting, I, you know, I've got mixed feelings about that. On the one hand, as you noted, McKee invited them in. This is a this is kind of like the Democrats getting what they asked for. They've, they've yeah. made they've made excuse me. They made activism uh, a major thing right down to having project-based civics in the schools where they're training kids to do activism so this is what you get you get the you get to where you can't have a christmas tree lighting because you you've invited activism as a way of life and a a basic structure of democracy uh so they you know in a way it's kind of funny comeuppance for them but on the other hand it's i don't know i i really don't like that everything is now activism it's always in your face it's always you know just getting going where you're trying to have a nice community event i mean from what i understand they were chanting while kids were trying to sing christmas carols i mean come on especially if they're not i mean if if they're homeless people who are maybe mentally ill that's one thing but if you're talking about activists who are just trying to get attention let the kids sing christmas songs you know that's they all they they probably went out to dinner in providence they got dressed up they practiced the songs here they are and now you've got these people no our our display of of righteousness is more important than that so I, i i that's that part I, I, I'm squeamish about and don't like, but until it starts to to really hurt Democrats, it's not going to be an issue. Until, for example, schools start saying, no, we're sorry, uh, Mr. Governor, we're, we're not interested because we don't want to put our kids through that. And it's not worth the, the, the excitement of singing at your festival. Until they cannot get people to do these things and have to start canceling them, uh, I think they'll just they'll just try to have it both ways, which is what they're doing. You know, that's a good point about last year. I think it was outside last year. And that's where then in the back when the, the you're right, the Matt Brown crew and they once again were interrupting. And it also, Justin, you're right. I mean, if anything, 
if you were truly homeless, there's different nooks and crannies around the state house. You could be down on the grass and then you could actually you'd almost want to be in a kitty corner where you're blocked on both sides from the elements, right? With like both wind and, and a little bit of privacy. But no, that's that's not where they are. It's also um, you know, the element of trying to what invite them <laughs> offer them food as if that's that's gonna buy them off. Um I, I wonder also that when I was interviewing one of the um, advocates that was there, and I didn't mean to, I just went to go show some of the footage. He immediately beelined over to me. And, but he's, they're spouting out like, and there's 500 people that are out on the streets that have, you know, nowhere to go. And then I, I heard like that was then quoted, I think in, in one of the television reports. And I, I don't know how you put a, fee, a number on that. And then, but suddenly that becomes the number that is then just like pushed around that there's, there's 500 people. We don't, I mean, I don't know. Do they really know? Is it, is it really 500? Is it, is it maybe 200? Is it 250? I don't know how they come up with the number 200. And Justin, what I also noticed is this goes beyond, they, they want very specific demands. They want vouchers for hotels. They, they are not looking for just really shelter beds. They, they don't want a shelter. Um, they, they have pets, they have various things. They want either a voucher for a hotel or permanent free housing. And do you think that the local media is doing enough to flesh that out of, of quote, just the homeless? No, they, as, as you indicate, they, they take the numbers they're given. They take the stories that the activists put forward. Uh, you know, if, if this is one of the big issues facing Rhode Island, which they're trying to make it seem like, then what we ought to have reporters finding out who are these people. Let me talk yeah. to all of these folks, not just the ones who come forward to be interviewed. And let me talk to all of them. Let me chase them down. Let me try to get a realistic idea of where these numbers are coming from. Uh, let me dig into what the actual problems are. I mean, you, you can't create a, a socialist paradise giving people free housing without creating incentive for people, for more people to seek that housing and become, quote, homeless. Uh, so that, and that's not what we want either. People need incentive to work as well. So there's a lot, it's, it's a very, you know, it can be a very complicated and intriguing public policy issue to, to consider and try to resolve and fix, but that's not what we get. We get activism, we get interrupting children while they sing Christmas carols, we get uh, you know, visible displays. And ultimately what you, I mean, if, if you don't, craft your policy well you end up and this is something local media could dig into as well you you get san francisco where there are miles and miles of of basically cities within cities that are urban uh homeless encampments and that's that's a you know you you start to really get uh into dangerous situations where people are are being abused and beaten and attacked and just because these you know it's it's not a very well regulated area and people are are exposed or they don't have lockable doors for example um even one of the articles said that if you're in a tent you don't like to leave because then you can't you're afraid your stuff will be stolen well yeah and when you have encampments and that sort of thing that increases more and more so these these are not new problems they're problems that we've been addressing for for decades trying to figure out what to do with with a situation for people who are destitute like that uh and the answer i don't think is more activism uh but the and the biggest reason for that is the activism just makes it harder to come to a realistic decision because you can't you can't even have a a a honest conversation because it's it's suddenly emotional it's suddenly you want to you know we've been like they were saying we with reference to the Holy Family, right? The, you know, for t- no homes for 2000 years, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, you can't have a conversation with people like that. And, and yet you can't exclude them from the conversation until they want to be rational because then they'll run to the, the media with the headlines of how they were excluded from the Christmas tree lighting or how the government, governor won't talk to them. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's the, one of the harder problems here is just how do you overcome this sort of progressive notion that everything has to be activism. You're either, you're either doing exactly what they want or you're evil and want them to die. I mean, right. we're not, we're not having a grown up, grown up political conversations on issues like this. And you, you also um, bring up a good point. What about, you know, the family that it's a big deal that the child's going to, you know, perform at the state house and they get dressed up. Maybe they're going to go to dinner afterwards and they go there. And but the the activists, their issue basically trumps any type of celebration because Governor McKee's there. And, you know, that their chance of we want housing is far more like their rights and what's important to them 
is far more important than any of the other people that are there. That's that selfish element of, of me. They're so self-absorbed. Uh, they can't even see like what, what makes their issue so much more important. And Justin, also not to get too off track, but and I think we've talked about this in the past. <clears throat> There's, it, it, it's, they use the sword. It's like, how can you attack these people? They're homeless. It's just someone even, or an advocate. They may not be homeless, but the claim of homelessness becomes the shield that they feel that you, you, you like, how, how can you be a rotten person that you're actually criticizing the homeless? I saw some of the, you know, people I put on social media, I thought it was wrong for them to erupt. And, you know, how can you knock those people? They are like, it, it's the ultimate victimhood. How dare you criticize someone that has no home? Right. And it's, it's, counterproductive i think a lot of this stuff not letting the community thing go forward i mean they could have made a much stronger statement just attending and and yes. being being there and being oh, and then that would work right then then you would say yeah they're just like you and me yeah, they just came in to watch the ceremony they had some hot chocolate now they're going back out there oh isn't that a shame that they're living in tents the i mean if you look at say academic studies of of the more socialist policies of the nordic countries one of the things they often come con- conclusions that comes right to the front is they feel very similar. It's not an extremely diverse society. And so they feel like they're all part of the same sort of tribe. And this sort of activity where you're disrupting uh, a Christmas celebration and, and chanting over children and stuff, it, it destroys that. And so it makes it actually harder to resolve the problem. People will may bend if they don't want to be embarrassed in public. But when it comes to the voting booth, when it comes to actually, say, giving to, to causes to charitable causes they'll do less because you're no longer those those people who are just like me who had some rough are going through some rough times you're you're now this this group that that is demanding that you give them something and that's that's a real that's a real problem and it makes you think that a lot of the background here is not actually trying to advocate for homeless people it's a political cause they're putting yep. heat on the government a lot of them are probably tied to organizations that uh that make direct money from providing these services. Yes. So I mean, it gets very complicated in that way. And, and just the, the, the way they go about it, the way everything has to be political in our progressive society these days, I think it's, it's, going, to, it's going to make things worse, much, much worse over time. Folks, quick break, much more ahead. Our segment, Politics This Week, Justin Katz, Managing Editor, AnchorRising.com, right here on the John DePietro Show. The Coesed Inn, 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick, Rhode Island tradition since 1977. Delicious food, great atmosphere, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge. They can also accommodate large groups. A great meal, a feast is waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Stop it and see them all year round. 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. They're waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Our segment is politics this week with me is Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com. Well, Justin, Rhode Island gets some more press last week. Even the Washington Post of all kind of picked up on the fact, okay, so Providence Mayor Jorge Alorza offering reparations, and they picked out something. It did get some local coverage, but um, even the national press, it even made the Drudge Report. I mean, how do you not get amused that they're, they're offering reparations for white people in the city now as you and i that have covered this this i attended that first press conference it was at the dexter street playground right behind the armory it was the summer 2020 the summer george floyd we have to right these wrongs uh big group out there when i started to ask as i just think of it as i started to ask the question well how much are they going to get some of the people you know started going after me and attacking me for how see it's all about that why would you even ask your questions like that But uh, what is your take now that Mayor Lorza, with this next round, is saying they're not going to exclude white residents from the city for these slave reparations? Well, they can't. That's, that would be unconstitutional to, right. to you cannot discriminate by race. And it, it, it just shows the whole the disgusting display of, of this. You know, the, and if you want to talk about division as well, uh, it, you you. Even even if you were trying to give it to people who were descendants of slaves, you're going to be giving it to people who are, for all intents and purposes, white because of 
just into marriage and just right. how, how a pluralistic society goes. You, you can't go back those years. You can't draw a direct line between people who lived here. I mean, in, in some very rare situations, say on a Brown University or something, where you can trace the money all the way from a slaving family to the present day family or institution, then maybe you can start to get that. There's some, sometimes you'll see cases, um, uh, the, what's his name? Oliver, the the TV personality, did a, a piece on on reparations. John Oliver, John Oliver yeah. yeah, and he he found a he found a family that literally the city took his family's property 150 years ago. Okay, there you've got an actionable claim. Yeah. But this broad kind of we're just going to give reparations generally to a community. It just doesn't work. People came here after that. People left. People died. Rich families became poor. It's just it's just for show. It's just a divisive technique to, to keep the issue of race alive, I think, for, for democratic policy politicians. And it's, it's just not going to help. What would help, what would cause real preparation, uh, reparations and really help families that have been stuck in a rut is things like, I don't know, overcoming the resistance of a teacher's union in a city that's failing its students. I mean, maybe right. that would help. That's what you would do if you actually cared. Instead, you're having, you're getting national press, you're sitting there signing things, you're getting, you're having, you're giving out federal money that has strings like strings, like you can't be racist when you give this out. So you've got to give it to people of all races. That's it's it's just a political display, and it, I mean, it's sort of like the the Christmas tree interruption, you know, by the homeless advocates. It's just we need to stop trying to look for ways to divide people and force pet issues. We need instead to come together and say, what can we do to help people advance in their lives as a community, as one large, overwhelming American community? That sort of talk has just completely disappeared. It's in it, probably because I'd be attacked for uh, white supremacy for even mentioning it. Folks, again, our segment is politics this week. Justin, since you mentioned the uh, Providence schools, boy, the Providence Journal is really taking the whole union thing hook, line, and sinker with, you know, their latest anonymous letters, allegations, resignations, what you need to know about the Providence Public School Department turmoil. I mean, you and I know this is about, this is what the union does. Their contract is coming up. They don't like some of the people that from the state that are involved in trying to turn around the Providence Public Schools. The contract is up in June. So what they do is they start to buck up the waters and they make allegations and, you know, let's get the state out of this and and we got to just control it locally and we want this woman to resign and anonymous letters get published. I, I, I cannot believe how much the media just goes with this. And it's, as you and I know, it's all adults that are drying this because it comes back to, either the union or people connected around the union. Yeah. You know, the, as far as the news media, part of it is uh, like the journal, the Providence journal is unionized. I, I, mean, I still remember when, right. when I was started attending a lot of hearings at the state house and, um, one of the unions chatting with with Kathy Gregg of the Providence Journal saying, oh, yeah, George Nee is ultimately your your union rep because your union's part. I mean, how can you cover your own union? You know, it's sort of like uh, members of school committees who are, who are parts of a union and that's somehow ethical and legal in Rhode Island. Uh, but that's the, so part of it is they they support them. They like them. Part of it, I think, is they're lazy and they've just taken this old the old talking point that they were taught in journalism school and probably more and more as the years have gone on that this is just the correct storyline is that the teachers union is our good and it's all about the administrators and ta evil taxpayers and, and irresponsible parents that's, that's all it is but you know it's you anybody you don't have to go to providence uh, you know folks to see this if you pick a pick a season when your local school department's contract is up with their teachers uh, especially if one or two people on the school committee are a little bit just a, a little bit taxpayer friendly you'll see the same sort of stuff the idea is yep. increase tension make it difficult for these mostly volunteers who have to make the decisions in government and just just increase attention ratchet it up whatever it takes yell scream uh have lines of people in the same colored shirt that they all have to walk through uh you know agitate from the audience, sit back there and say, we can't hear you. We can't hear you just to make them uncomfortable. This is how they negotiate. It's disgusting. Yeah. It has nothing to do with education. It's all about the, the union proving that they can get their members more money, which you know is debatable. You don't know what they'd get if they were actually doing a good job. Uh, so that's, uh, that's all it is. And you can, you can see it in any community, although it seems to be happening less and less, which I worry means that 
in most communities uh, that aren't failing like as badly as Providence, the, they're just so captured that there aren't, there aren't even those two or three people on the school committee willing to even ask the questions. Yeah, and it is um, a little convoluted because of the, the state takeover. But Justin Katz, they, they're not shy about the demands. Like whoever the, this woman, Joan Jackson, and you know they're demanding she be terminated because they don't like her and anonymous letters being sent. And then they, the big thing they always come to that some of the media fall for is, you know, morale's at an all-time low and people are so unmotivated they don't want to go even go to the classroom. And they want that woman fired. You and I both know she just works for the uh, superintendent of Providence. You and I both know it's it's virtually impossible to fire a teacher that's in the union, and yet they're making these demands. They want that this uh, woman fired. Um, Justin Katz, what is your take on uh, Channel Twelve stumbled quote into a story? Providence has some property, and he hired some of his uh, North Providence workers to do some work. Uh, and paid them uh, apparently out of his pocket, but uh, you know, separate and aside from town work, Channel Twelve did a piece on it. It didn't seem to really have much effect on the situation, but just what, I'm just curious your thoughts on that piece about Mayor Lombardi and having some of these workers do some work for him on the side. Well, at the very least, it it looks bad. Um, yeah. I mean, I could see, I could see setting it up where if if you say the city even wanted to make make some extra revenue and it had some some spare time with its staff, or they wanted overtime, where you, you allowed residents to hire them as a, a team, I wouldn't like that. But at least it would be even handed and, and a service they provide. But you know, if this is the sort of thing that that's going to happen. We in Rhode Island, and every year it seems to get worse. And, and you run across situations where. You, you know, even somebody, you know, a family member is making a lot of money work doing something related to, to government and you just, wow, well, you know, good for them. But how are we, how is that that much money? That kind of thing. We don't work. They, the, the government doesn't work for us. They, they, we work for them. We supply services for them. And even if he paid them out of his pocket, I mean, it just looks bad. It looks like, it, it just looks like the mayor's getting special treatment. Uh, because he's as if the DPW crew is his own staff, you know, his own, right. his own household employees, and that's that's not a not a good look at all. And and I think they were using town equipment. I could be they wrong. They were, but yeah, yeah. So I mean, you're that's a whole other thing. We, I mean, we've had, you'll see local controversies where the DPW, the workers or others use equipment on their own houses and their own property. There's, there's no difference. There's value to that equipment. And they're, they're not, I doubt they're renting it. I doubt they're paying back into the till for their use of the equipment. They're just, they're just taking it because it's part of their job and that might be fine. It might be a perk you can offer in a private company where you, you know, construction company or landscaping company, you say, Hey, you know what? You do a great job. If you want to do some stuff on the side, you can use my tools over the weekend, but you can't do that with government, particularly when they're working on the mayor's house. Yeah. It's, um, it's also, I can fully get that. He starts to know some of the town employees and says, I know so-and-so, Hey, if you want to earn some extra money, instead of I now go out and find just some individual that does this, I know someone that does it. I'll pay you, you know, separately than whatever, just being a town employee. But, uh, um, but again, at the, at the same time, just the perception. And finally, Justin Katz, um, regarding Cranston, the homeless, you know, Cranston, I, I give them credit. They were the ones that challenged like, all right, we don't want all these panhandlers at the, at the intersections asking for money, but they have pretty aggressively come forward now. And I guess initially governor McKee and his staff, they were looking at, they, they have these things they call them homeless pallets. It's kind of almost like a shed. <clears throat> it does not have running water, but it would basically be it's, it houses someone. It's almost like I wouldn't even call it a small house because it's really more just almost like a like a bathhouse or a shed. literally I think a shed is a better indication of it. But definitely have like a little area that's a kitchen and at least it, it, it's not just a bed. And this it, again, it's small. It's a very small studio. Uh, but Cranston stepped forward and said, you know, we have a problem. I guess initially the state was looking at putting 500 of them on that property that they own uh, in Cranston that has the, the um, registry of motor vehicles that obviously housed the prison. Um, and it has some other, you know, it's state land right there thrown down in Cranston. And they were going to utilize that. I think the number I heard initially was 500. But, um, but Cranston stepped forward. 
and said, we're not taking any more homeless. We have all these homeless. The largest men's shelter is Harrington Hall. So I'm just curious your thought on Cranston stepping forward saying, you know, we're doing enough. We're not, we're not taking, even the mayor, we're not taking all these homeless people. You're going to almost like create like a little village here for them in Cranston. Yeah, I, I, well, I don't know if the resolution actually passed. I think it was a tie. It'd be, it'd be interesting yes. to analyze how close each of the council members lives to that area uh, and, and see whether that has any effect on, on their likelihood to vote for or against the resolution. Uh, you know, in the articles I read, the, the line that struck me was they don't have, as you said, they don't have running water. They don't have bathrooms. And, you know, that, so basically they're, they're sheds, but they're sort of like more structured tents like we were just talking about. Yes. You know, they're, not, they're not really housing. They're, they're a somewhat more sheltered and lockable, secure uh, place right. to sleep at night. Uh, and, you know, maybe that's a solution in lieu of tents, but you start to create issues. And Cranston makes a good the, – the, council members who are for the resolution to object to this uh, make good point. You know, they already have a lot of homeless folks in, in their community. One town, one city can't take it all. If you're, if you're putting up, you know, if you're putting up boxes for people to live in, that can go anywhere. It doesn't have to be on in Cranston, right? That's, that's a reasonable point. And these things do take, as we were talking about before, they do take resources. They, you do have a population. You know, it's not, it's not derogatory toward people who are homeless to say that when you have a bunch of people living in basically tents, in, an encampment with no running water, that creates issues that have to be addressed. Not only issues of violence and attacks between them, not only security issues, but how do you manage people who who have no bathroom in their little dwelling area? You know, then you've got you've got port johns or something, and you know all you have to do is go to a, a local soccer field when that the day before those are cleaned to see how quickly those can be public health questions. So, I mean, that's there there are a lot of questions around that, and and as we were discussing in Provi with the Providence issue, it's the same thing. You you can't have these honest discussions because it becomes you're you're derogatory. You're you're putting down human beings, etc. You know, I so I don't know if these these boxes are the right solution, um, but it, it seems like they could be. Better, I mean, there could be better planning and better spreading out of the effects of it uh, and, and just more conversation about it, more honest conversation from the advocates. Yeah, you'd never hear it from like the Steve Elquist type. But you go back to I remember the, the uh, you know, the setting. They just took over a parking lot in Providence and the people in the street. One person in the street was allowing the people to come and use the shower, and use the bathroom. But people in the neighborhood would like saying that there'd be fights there. They'd stay up late making noise till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. There's reasons why many of these people, their family members won't even let them stay there. They're, they're, they're loud. Sometimes they drink too much. They don't make good decisions. There is fights back and forth. You took my so-and-so. Um, it, it, it's not a matter of, you know, they all act like it would just be this very calm, united group of people, like a commune that all come together and, you know, the, the, the poor, these poor people that just hold on. I just found it refreshing for Cranston to step forward like, whoa, time out. We're not taking more of this crowd. It, it creates problems because these just aren't people that just need a place. They also then, they want, you know, they, they have, a lot of them have medical problems. They, they want to be fed for free. They, they come with a list of demands and they're, they're actually very reliant on the state. When I was interviewing uh, the people at the state house. There's, you know, we have to walk from here over to the soup kitchen to get the free food in the morning, and then you get free coffee, and then we use the train station for the bathroom. They're they're looking, Justin. They they have a host of things they're depending the state to provide for them, but there's never, you know, and they don't even like that you bring it up. But there's never any talk about employment that would would solve a lot of these ills. That if these people were actually employed. They've had some income. They would have a place to go and they wouldn't have time to do all this advocacy and demonstrations and making such noise that, that, that they're unhoused. Right. Well, and, and that you raise exactly the point. I mean, to me, the solution is improve Rhode Island's economy. And that's yes. what it all comes down to is you, you can't trust uh, one that the media is going to give you the real story of what happens with these things. You can't trust that the government's really trying to get them employed, really trying to 
encourage them to get, to get training and jobs because this is how the government makes money. They, they get a, a target client class like homeless people and they find some way to make other people pay the government to provide services. That's the business model that they undertake. So they have no incentive to resolve these issues. But the, the real solution is make Rhode Island a place that it's easy to find work. It's lots of opportunity. And then you will find these folks getting jobs. You'll find them working. You'll find them uh, having more and more incentive to, to clean up. And not only that, but there will be more money and more opportunity for people to help them do that. And so that that to me is that what, what Right out of the back, it's lost in these conversations. Once you start the activists, you know, demanding this and that and the other thing is, we we need a more thorough fix to Rhode Island's problems. These are these are you know deteriorating society. The sort of problems deteriorating societies have, and we can resolve them, but not with a little fix here and a little fix there. Because what happens is. The, the activists and the government don't adequately accommodate what they're asking the community to do. The community, fewer people want to work in that community or live in that community and things go downhill from there. And that's really the, the unwritten story that could be told if we could trust, you know, the people who are, are sort of su in, supposed to inform and guide us to, to do what, what they signed on to do. Folks, he is the managing editor, anchorising.com. It's Justin Katz. Justin, excellent job as always, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you, John. Talk to you soon. Remain healthy. Stop in and see Marie at It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. You can also look for her on Facebook, but call her 401 305-3585. You know the building. It's that historic white church diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant. It's my health. What do you find inside? Well, first of all, great service, great selection, vitamins, herbal remedies from trusted companies, local products like ICE, honey, maple syrup, beef fresh gum, over 250 bulk herbs, teas, and spices, plus hemp and cbd products natural skin care it's my health pop in and see marie 1099 menden road in cumberland there's things for your pets there's things for your children there's things for your health stay healthy at it's my health 1099 menden road in cumberland again call marie 401-305-3585 diagonally across from davenport restaurant to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 .9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, dePietro.com. Remember, weekdays, 11 to 2. But visit the website, dePietro.com. That's the best way to reach me. There's a direct link. Contact John. We also have all our sponsors right there. We have unique, original reporting, stories, videos. Also, all our links to social media, whether it's Facebook, when we do Facebook Live, or YouTube, or Twitter, it's all right there at the website topetro.com. And then remember, once you're there, you can also visit the shop. We have great gifts that you can get. It's a happening. All links to the show. Plus, if you ever miss any part of the show, it's all right there under radio show right there. Folks, it all starts by logging on at topetro.com. And on the left-hand side, you can always listen live. Again, all our links, everything begins and ends right there at the website topetro.com.